So, question time. Got to do some survey here at the beginning. Because I want to sort of get a temperature read on where we are in some things. You know, they say that we should never talk about three things uh, in, in the company of folks at dinner. You know, I don't know if you, all, you grew up hearing this, but I always heard you never, talk about, you never talk about money, you never talk about religion, and you never talk about... Duh. So let's talk about two of those three. How about that? Let's tackle a couple of those and put them together. Any, any, well, anybody nervous? <laughs> Actually, let me, say it, let me say it this way. Anybody other than me nervous about this topic today? I don't know what your preconceptions were for what we're going to talk about. Uh, we'll clear those up a little bit, a little bit later here. But, but I want to take sort of a little survey and just kind of get the temperature of how we feel about sort of this political season and where we're at with things. And don't worry, we're not going to get too personal. How many of you uh, are like me and you sort of enjoy the you know, sort of drama, the craziness? Uh, you're a news junkie and you love the drama and you actually like following the news and who's leading and who's losing, what will become of Clinton's emails, you know, what will crazy Uncle Trump or Sanders say next, that kind of thing. Does Ben Carson have eyes? Things like that. Are you, like me, like engaged in this political season and you love the craziness and drama? Raise your hand if you're like me. Put them up if you... There you go, proud people. Yes, my people. How many of you, on the other hand, can't wait for it to be over? <laughs> A few of you knew that was coming. I'm increasingly going to be like that with y'all, I think. I'm getting a little bit verklempt with it. So... I'm trending that way with you. How many of you, uh, when the subject of politics comes up at work around the dinner table, you get this sort of knot in your stomach and uh, you don't like talking about it with other people? How many of you are there with that? Don't like it, okay? Yeah. How many of you are like me, though, that one person who does like to bring it up? Anybody? Instigators? Yes. My people? <laughs> yes. I knew there'd be a few of you all. Uh, how about some, some questions about the debates? Who has watched, we actually had some folks in first service, who has watched all of all of the debates, basically? Who has watched all of the debates? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> 90% that deserves to have your hand up. How about you've watched some of all the debates? Anybody who's watched some of all the debates? Okay, cool. Anybody like me who has seen just a little bit? A little bit of some of the debates, maybe just even part of one of them. Anybody who's like, debates? What debates? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. <clears throat> How about this? A little more personal. We won't get any more personal than this. We're not going to name candidates or anything like that. Uh, but from the current pool of candidates, how many of you already know who you're voting for come November 8th? How many of you already know who you're voting for? All right, a few of y'all? Cool. So I guess, how many of y'all already know who you're not voting for? <laughs> That's called, I don't know where you're going, but I'm going one of these two directions, so I know who I'm not going. One last question. And this hits at the tension a little bit for us. Who thinks... And honestly, I have my hand up on this one, truth be told. Who thinks preachers and churches 
in particular, should basically just stay away from all things political. It's okay to have your hand up. All right? All right? So some of you think we shouldn't even be talking about this, right? My hand is sort of up on this one. It'll become more clear as the series goes along, sort of where I am on this. You'll get some hints today. But if there's one thing people are sort of heated and and, and amped up about uh, right now, it's politics. Like I have watched otherwise rational and intelligent and caring people become crazy, like skewering people in their own family, name-calling, pot shots. Like just within the last few months and weeks, if you're on Facebook at all and you have like any friends, (laughs) you've experienced some of this political drama online, right? You've watched it go on. And if there's one particular subset of this whole political drama that makes people especially tense, it's this mixture of, of religion and politics, faith and politics. Where those two come together becomes perhaps the most tense part of it. Like there are all these questions surrounding those kinds of things. And there are different answers for all these. Like is America a Christian nation? Should Christians accept all comers to America? Or some. Should Christians have to accept that same-sex marriage is the law of the land now? Or should they you know, not accept and, and functionally sort of rebel against that. Should, should Christians lock and load or should they turn the other cheek? I mean, these are questions that we kind of all have around this. Should Christians be Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent? Should they align with the Green Party? Should they align with the Tea Party? Should they align with the Green Tea Party? <laughs> Thank you, that's an original to me. Check. It's a contentious time for America. Let's just be honest. There's a lot of tension about this going on right now. We live in a time that many are calling some of the most polarized in our history. Actually, if you look at some of the old debates and the way they used to talk about one another, today's kind of tame, honestly. But a lot of folks feel like we're more divided as a country than ever in general terms. People taking pot shots, everyone's upset, and especially this area of the intersection of faith and politics, Christianity and politics. There's a funny incident once, though, that happened that I came across that kind of illustrates this a little bit. It's kind of funny. Two senators, one a Republican and the other Democrat. They were debating this issue of the place of religion, of faith, and politics. And uh, the Republicans said, you Democrats, you don't have the slightest idea what you're talking about when it comes to Christianity. And of course, the Democrat fired back, actually we do. I'm a born-again Christian. I've been a member of my church for 30 years. The Republican said, okay, all right, prove it. Recite the Lord's Prayer. So the Democrat said, no problem, church boy. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. The Republican was stunned, said, wow, I didn't know you had it in you. People get all crazy 
They get all crazy when it comes to this issue, and it's an especially heated issue in our culture today. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody knows what's right. Everybody knows what's wrong. Everybody, everybody knows, right? So let me both relieve and disappoint you right now (laughs) In, in both ways. Let me both relieve and disappoint you up front. Because some of you all have some expectations for today. Some of you all think I'm going to go a certain way and say a certain thing, and you're going to leave this place going, yes, I knew I was right. Let me relieve and disappoint you (laughs) on both fronts. I'm going to relieve the people who are worried that I'm going to stir the pot and say controversial things and tell you how to vote on the issues. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to disappoint the people who want me to stir the pot, talk about controversial issues, and tell you how to vote. We're just not going to do that today, and we're not going to do that during the rest of this series. So let me up front relieve and disappoint some of you. And here's why. Here's why. Because ultimately, and you know this is true in your life and in your experience, you know that this, this world of politics is not all there is. You know that there is a reality beyond this world that is called heaven, the place where God lives in His fullness, and that it transcends these world powers. And no politician and no political system can get you to that full presence of God. Here's, here's what I mean. Like when you die, when you die, you don't go to Washington, right? I mean, maybe people go there to die. But, but when you die, if you love Jesus and you've accepted Him as Savior, you don't go to Washington. You go to the full presence of God in heaven. And these don't get you here. They won't get you there. And listen, I've been at (laughs) plenty of people's bedsides when they were dying or close to dying, and nobody says to me, hey, Scott, it would just be really meaningful to me. It would be really great to me if you just read a passage from the Constitution. (laughs) Nobody says that. They want to hear from Jesus. When it comes down to it, they want to hear hear from Savior Jesus about where they're going. So straight up, relieve and disappoint some of you, all of you, at this level right now. Politics is not as important as we make it. It just isn't. It isn't as important as the world makes it. It isn't as important as Glenn Beck or Charles Krautheimer make it. It's not as important as Rachel Maddow or Elizabeth Warren make it out to be. It isn't as important as half a dozen 24-hour news stations make it out to be. All the verbiage, all the rhetoric, all the money spent, all the drama around it, all of that in the world put together doesn't just suddenly justify an importance for politics that it doesn't actually deserve and can never have. And if that feels like a little bit of a sacrilege to you inside. If, if you hear me say that, and on the inside you go, oh, he's on thin ice. <laughs> then maybe, 
Maybe you've misunderstood the kingdom of God. Maybe these are idols and not just representations of how you vote. Because, friends, the unadulterated truth of the witness of Scripture, the unadulterated truth of the witness of the entirety of Scripture is that the kingdom of God makes the combined power of all the world's politicians and political structures for all time put together look like child's play. So we're not going to make it more important than it needs to be. We're going to shift our thinking about what really matters. Now, don't get me wrong. Disclaimer time for a couple minutes. Don't get me wrong. You can have political opinions. I encourage you to. Please, Christians, know what you vote for. And, 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 and politics, perhaps of all the spheres of worldly power, is one of the most powerful in terms of its ability to help the quality of life of, of millions and billions of people in the world. Yes, it can be a place of real power that affects lives. And, and friends, we need badly, deed, we badly need good Christians in government. But there are more important things it cannot do than important things it can do. There are more important things politics can never do than there are important things that it can do. It can't protect you from evil. It can mitigate it. Part of its function is to lessen that for you. Sure. But has anybody here, has anybody here been protected from all evil? It can't, it can't do that for you. It can't teach you how to love and obey God. It can't give you a family. It can't give you ultimate joy. It can't save you from sin. There are more important things it cannot do than important things it can do. So we're not going to make politics more important than it needs to be. And here's why. Because there is already, according to the Scriptures an ultimate political structure and system that lasts forever. We're going to look more into the life of Jesus in the coming weeks and some surprisingly political actions of Jesus where he takes on all comers. But, but for now, as simply as I can say it, we can be surrounded by all the dog and pony show in the world, but according to the scriptures, the fact remains, when Jesus came, he established the primary political structure in all the universe. And it's called the kingdom of God, and it's a kingdom that lasts forever. And it's a kingdom where God is currently reigning as king. Working to destroy evil and to end pain and to remove suffering and to dry tears. And a kingdom that can do that, that can give power over death and sin to the people who are a part of its kingdom, makes all the world's politicians and structures for all time look like child's play in comparison. Because this is a kingdom so powerful that it reaches beyond geography, it reaches beyond race, it reaches beyond military might, it reaches beyond all human categories we could name to call us into a new reality that acknowledges what the world cannot 
And I'm about to tell you the most fundamentally important truth of the universe. Jesus Christ is the king of all creation. And in sovereignty lasts forever. And we find out about that in the story of the kingdom in the Bible. I want to take you today just on a, a brief tour of three passages. This is going to be overview. Folks who are regulars here know that we get into the nitty-gritty details a lot. Today is going to be an overview of three passages that kind of begin to tell the story. There are a few others. If you, I would encourage you to have the study guide uh, open this week because there are a couple other passages that help tell this story well uh, for your own study. But today is about getting the big picture overview. We'll get into the details of Jesus' ministry uh, in the next few weeks. But today is about getting common vocabulary for the story of the kingdom. Turn to Genesis 11 if you're not there yet. Genesis 11, 1 to 6. Before we get into it, quick background about the story of the kingdom up to this point. God created man and woman. Gave them the job of carrying on the good foundational purpose of our existence, which is to make God's glory known, to do what he's been doing, to take the stuff that he gave us, to steward it well, and to continue the creative work that God did. Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply. God's speaking to both Adam and Eve. Because it brings God glory, it makes us happy when we do what we were created to do. And that is to do what God did to continue to carry on his work of extending goodness. That's why he calls it good in chapter 1. So God says up to this point, do good stuff like I do. And then Genesis 11 happens. It says this. This is rebellion against God's kingdom reign, rebellion against his sovereignty. Follow along, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. This is a statement about the relative unity and power, their strength in numbers. Verse 2. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there, meaning that people began to, to gather in one place and to live there long term. It's been nomadic before that. Now they sort of settled and, and got comfortable. And they said to one another, verse 3, Come, let us make bricks, burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. It's kind of a tar that held it together. And then they said, verse 4, this is key, Come, let us build ourselves a city. Come, let us build ourselves a city. (laughs) They were building a city for self. Look at that trajectory and not for God. I mean, think about what they had just come from in terms of uh, of their awareness of God's presence, God's sustaining power for them. They were palpably aware that God had provided everything. And yet, and yet, here they are, here they are saying, we don't want to build a city for God. Let's not keep doing the work that he did. Let's do the work we want to do that is focused at ourselves so that... Keep reading. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us so that they could make a name for themselves. This is a statement about their motivations. It's a statement about their motivations. Let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. God had said, go, be fruitful, disperse, carry on the good work throughout the whole world. And they were saying, lest we have to do that, let's settle here 
Let's get comfortable. Let's be happy with us. Make a name for ourselves. This is where a lot of us live right here. Right here. It's where a lot of us get used to living. We've settled in the plain of Shinar. Lest we be dispersed. Because listen, this isn't just, this isn't just about geography. It's about a motivation of the heart. It's about a motivation of the heart. God's not against them building. Keep reading. Keep reading. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man. Notice that nomenclature, children of man. That's the, one of the first times in Scripture where we see this kingdom of God versus kingdom of man thing set up there. It's obvious whose children they are, right? They're not part of God's kingdom. They're working to build the kingdom of man. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. It's not like God's scared of them doing this. It's just that He's aware that they're on a course to make the world about themselves. And thus, in so doing, miss the kingdom. It's not like God's anti-construction. He's not against building. (laughs) This isn't about the building. It's about not even the nation building. It's about selfish nation building. God is condemning the kingdom of man making a name for itself as if it didn't need him. Because he knows where that ends. So the good purposes of God to be a part of his kingdom that brings the satisfaction and contentment and purpose and joy that he he had for them, they reject that, they rebel against that, they say, we got this, I know what I'm doing. Let's settle in the plain of Shinar and make a name for ourselves. Here's the story of the kingdom of God though. He doesn't give up. He doesn't stop. He's not, he's not going to stop seeking after his people because God is a king, capital K, who works by grace and gives second and third and fourth and fifth and 17,000th chances. So God, even though in rebellion, gave his people away. Even though they were about the idol of selfish nation, nation building, he gave his people away to be a part of the kingdom nonetheless. Look at Exodus 19 if you're not there yet. Turn in Exodus 19, 5 and 6. I'm just going to look at a verse and a half there real quick. He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, which is a way of saying, if you will acknowledge that I am the Lord and King, If you will acknowledge that I am the Lord and King, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. He's sovereign. He owns it all, including the people. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, which is to say that God is making for himself a people with whom he can live and reign as king. Notice the wording there in 6a. It says, you, the people, shall be to me a kingdom. Which is to say that God reigns over not just the earth, but people. So if you follow him, he's your Lord. He's your Lord. And these are not. And at a certain point, these can become idols for us. 
if we're not careful. And we live in a time where everybody's freaking out about the future of everything. This con- Let me say something. This country may fall tomorrow, worse than Rome. It may fall tomorrow. And if your life is a vote for this king, it doesn't matter if it falls tomorrow. That's some perspective we need. That's some perspective we need. And yet, <laughs> Scripture is clear in a couple different places. This is one of them. Romans 13 is another one. We're not going to have time to look at that. Yet, Scripture is clear. We are to submit to the governing authorities. Look at 1 Peter 2. This is a cool passage here for us. It's a good key verse that we'll get to here in a second. Verse 16. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Scripture is clear that one of the main functions of government is to punish evil, is to be a a, a way of justice being served. Not ultimate justice, only this king does that. But to be representative of that on earth that's one of the main functions of government according to Scripture. So that's what we see there in verses 13 and 14. But, look, but notice this. This is a sweeping command. Be subject for the Lord's sake. This, that's the reason why. To every human institution, as opposed to structures set up by God, for the Lord's sake, which is to say that it glorifies God even when we submit to human institutions as if unto God. Here's why. We're back to being people who disperse the glory of God, who are fruitful and multiply. If that's, our, if that's our goal, if that's who we are, then that's our filter for our lives. It glorifies God when we submit to human institutions as if unto God, because that is an opportunity for witness, regardless of the circumstances. Regardless of the circumstances. Look at verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, which is to say that godly lives are a witness. Then it says, verse 16, this is a great verse. Live as people who are free. This is on the front of the study guide for a reason. Live as people who are free. Not this kind of free. Not this kind of free. Live as people who are forever free, who are free from the power of death and sin who are free from the tyranny of a government that can do whatever they might want for us. We enjoy wonderful freedom compared to most of the world. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Verse 17, fear God. Honor the emperor. taken together here these concepts in big picture terms that we're talking about the fact that God is a king capital K and that by grace he made us his own means it means that your life and my life is free to cast a vote 
your life is actually one big, huge political vote. Your life is a vote for the reality of the kingdom of God. The reality that this king can do what no other king can. May we be people who walk out those doors understanding clearly who we really serve. Because how we, how we talk, how we behave, the way we interact with one another, the way we interact with people who are here when we are not, or who are here when we are not, even those kinds of interactions can reveal whose kingdom we're really in. May we not miss the opportunity to be a witness to that kingdom during this political season. Because of all the people on the planet, we are positioned to be that witness. Can't nobody else be a witness to the power of a kingdom that lasts forever. Let's pray.